He who has begun a good work in you will complete it till the day of redemption. He began it in eternity past when the Father chose you and gave you to the Son. The Son has come to save us and the Spirit apply that work. Turn to Romans chapter 3. three. We're going to start over in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 9. Three times three is nine. The heading in my Bible, which I believe is a good heading, maybe it's in yours as well, is God's sovereign choice. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 13, and then we'll continue in our study with verses 10 to 13. But Paul, first we'll see Paul's burden for his Jewish brethren, and then Paul showing us, and we're continuing to open that up as we study today, how even though most Jews have rejected the Messiah, the Word of God has not failed. This is the Word of God. Verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the prom- and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year. I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you and just pray that you, by your spirit, would open up your word to us and open our hearts to your word. Help us, Lord. Help me to preach your word in the power of the spirit. Help us to hear it as Your Word in the power of the Spirit. To through it love You and trust You and submit to You. And proclaim Your glory. We thank You for Your great work of salvation. You didn't have to save. But we have a Savior 
who is Jesus Christ, who has lived for us and died for us and been raised for us and is reigning for us and is coming again someday for us. We do to nothing in and of ourselves are your people in Christ Jesus. And so we look to you this morning and pray for help to preach and hear and understand and walk in the truth that is in your word. We look to you and, and uh, look with anticipation and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He is a chosen instrument of mine. Remember who that is he's talking about? Jesus is talking about Saul of Tarsus. Greek name, Paul. The one who was trying to stamp out the church and stamp out the gospel. The one who hated Jesus and hated His people. The one who was on the road to Damascus to continue His work of destruction of anyone who would name the name of Christ. That one, Jesus said, was a chosen instrument. You would have never guessed it, looking at his life. He was one of the children of Abraham. And we come to find out through this encounter in Acts 9, that he was also one of the children of God. Not because he was good or deserved it, or decided to turn from his wicked ways and trust Christ on his own initiative, but because he had been chosen by God and brought to faith through that dramatic, dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus. Jesus, talking about the individual Saul, calling him a chosen instrument, is a good illustration of what we're talking about in Romans 9. God chooses individuals and accomplishes His purpose through them. And we have been seeing that in the Old Testament, the discriminating grace of God. That not all who were of the flesh, Israel, truly belong to Israel or are the children of God. See, we don't deserve His choice. We would never have chosen Him without His previous work of grace in our lives. Here's something we're going to have to get a grip on as we're working through Romans. Mercy is God's prerogative, and He owes it to no one. None of us have a claim on God's mercy. He doesn't have to be merciful to us. We get stuck there. And we think things like, well, if He's going to be merciful to one, He has to be merciful to all. No. Number one, He doesn't have to be merciful to one. But Paul is showing us what God is doing in the redemption 
of His people who will live with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. See, today we get Exhibit B. Last week we had Exhibit A, proving the point in verse 6 that the Word of God has not failed. Yes, in Paul's day, most of the Jews, and down to this day, most of the true Jews reject their Messiah. But that doesn't mean the Word of God has failed. Most of the Gentiles reject Him too. But that doesn't mean it either. See, that's the thesis statement. You want to know what Romans 9 through 11 is about? That's the thesis statement. The Word of God has not failed. It will not fail. It will always return to Him, having produced what He had sent it to accomplish. So as Isaac was exhibit A of that, now today Jacob is going to be exhibit B. We've already seen in Romans, and summarizing it quickly, I summarize it every week, I would encourage you to go read the rest of the book. What basically we've seen is that everybody's lost and need a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. Uh, justification by faith alone, it means that we trust in Christ and we are forgiven of all of our sins and clothed in His righteousness. And the soul that He justifies, He sanctifies. We've worked through that section in 6 to 8 on sanctification or growth in grace. And now we're coming to see God's sovereign work of grace in salvation in, in chapters 9 through 11. The Jews have rejected their Messiah for, for the most part, yet God's word has not failed. And then he follows that with two sets, two parallel arguments using two brothers. We saw Isaac and Ishmael last time. We'll see Jacob and Esau this time as exhibit B. And I just took out right out of the text for my title, God's Purpose of Election. It's right in the text there in verse 11. The main point I want you to see this morning, and again, I know this is a highly theological section, and the main application is things that we're learning, and sometimes things that we're learning are things we have to submit to, because we won't be able to fully flesh them out, think them all the way out. They may not even make sense to us, but if God's revealed it, it is true. And so the main point today is for us to embrace the fact that God's choice is not based on anything in those being chosen. Nothing. God's choice is not based on anything in those being chosen. But it is solely an act of His sovereign grace. God's choice is not based on anything in those being chosen, but it is solely an act of His sovereign grace. Now look back in verse 10. We're going we're gonna to split this text up by looking at verses 10 and 12. It's kind of a broken up sentence here. Which is fine when you're reading, but when you're preaching it, sometimes you have to rearrange things. But I'm going to look at verses 10 and 12 in point 1 and verses 11 and 13 in point 2. So verses 10 and 12. Look at, look at back at the text in chapter 9. And not only Saul, so we see that's connecting the argument. It's connecting that he's talking, he's expanding upon what he's already said, proving the point that God's word has not failed. And he says, and not only so, not only Sarah and Isaac and the birth of Isaac, but he says, not only Saul, but when Rebecca. Now, I want to stop for a minute. I'm going to make a point. I might come back to this. Just remember what we talked about last week and what you see right here. 
that we are talking about individuals here. This text is not limited to any sort of corporate election or talking about nations only. That would be to miss the entire point of the whole chapter, chapters. But when we keep the thesis statement in mind that the word of God hasn't failed, when we keep Paul's burden in mind, seeing that his burden is for his Jewish people, and he's wondering why all of them haven't accepted the Messiah, and that question is being answered, we clearly see if we let just... If we just let this passage speak, that we're starting with individuals here. All right? And Rebecca is one of those individuals. And we can read their individual stories in Genesis. We won't go back and do that today. But he says this. Also, when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. And then there's that. We'll come back to verse 11. And then in verse 12, she was told... The older shall serve the younger. See, God's letting her in on a little bit of His plan there. There's this wrestling in her womb. And, you know, there's, there's, there's twins in her womb. And Jacob and Esau are there. And from them will come two nations. Surely that's true. But we're talking about individuals here. And Rebecca has conceived twins by our forefather, she, it says Isaac. There's an interesting comparison here between Rebecca and Sarah, isn't there? I don't know if you've thought about this. But both Rebecca and Sarah were barren, which means they couldn't have children. They tried and tried. They couldn't have children, right? So both Rebecca and Sarah were barren. Rebecca's barrenness, like Sarah's, was overcome by divine intervention. It was an answer to Jacob's prayer. You can read about that in Genesis twenty-five, twenty-one. And Rebekah's son, like Sarah's son, Isaac, Rebekah's son, would receive the covenant promises. But notice I said son. Which one? Which one would receive the covenant promises? Now, think about it. Both sons, Jacob and Esau, are from the same mother and father. Whereas Isaac and Ishmael, they were the you know, same father, different mothers. But we've got the same mother and father. They were both conceived at the same point of time. So Jacob and Esau were conceived at the same point of time. They were both equally, look at me, they were both equally sinful. Bring our theology into the story. We know, as David confessed, I was born in sin, right? Every child since the fall, born a sinner. Born in a condemnation. Born needing a Savior. Esau, in the New Testament, is pointed out an example of a sensual man and an ungodly man who sold his birthright for a pot of stew. But Jacob, he's this princely little saintly guy who always does things right. He has a heart after God. His name means grasping the heel, right? Or, here you go, the one who cheats. He's a scammer. He's a cheater. He's a sinful guy. They're both equally sinful. It's not that one is a little more rosy than the other one, right? 
One's an indoor boy and a mama's boy, and one's an outdoor guy and a hunter and all of that. In fact, I wrote a comparison paper when I was in seminary between Jacob and Esau and my two dogs. I did. Jake was red and hairy, and Kobe was smooth, and Kobe loved to be inside with Mama, and Jake wanted to be outside. So anyway, it was fun to write. But the point was, they were both sinful, and they both deserved condemnation, and neither deserved grace, mercy, blessing, or selection. Jacob, though he would be the one where it says the older, uh, the older will serve the younger. So in other words, Jacob would, would be over Esau, but it wouldn't be because he deserved to be. Neither one of these boys deserved grace, mercy. And God's favor on them was not based on what they did. We'll see in a minute. Both were sinful. Both deserved condemnation. Both deserved justice. Just like every one of us, in and of ourselves, born into this world, what we deserve before a holy God is justice. So be careful when you're crying out for justice. If that's not coming to you, Through the Lord Jesus Christ. They both deserved justice. And remember the question Paul is trying to answer. Why don't all the Jews believe? How is it that the word of God hasn't failed, but they don't all believe? And he's working that out by pointing us first back to see how God worked under the old covenant in bringing about this people through whom would come the Messiah. One is chosen, though. Now, look at we've already said it in verse 12. The older shall serve the younger. God's, God's choice of Jacob rather than Esau clearly illustrates the principle that grace rather than race makes the difference. It's grace that makes the difference. Remember verse 6b, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. There's a physical people that are the physical seed of Abraham and in the midst of that physical seed, there are there is the spiritual seed. Remember last week's sermon. You can go back and listen to that and then look at the slide from last week. Chapter 11, Paul shows us where he's going. Remember we said, if you want to know what a person's arguing for, look at his conclusion. There is today a remnant chosen by grace. There's a remnant chosen by grace. And so God's choice of the, the one that wouldn't naturally have the headship, it would be the firstborn, but God's choice of the, the younger of the two elevated the, the secondborn over the firstborn. Grace is what makes the difference. Jacob is the chosen covenant seed. Esau was blessed by the Lord, but Jacob was chosen. And his name, Jacob's name would later be changed to Israel. That's where it comes from. To Israel. Because through him would come the twelve sons and the twelve tribes and the physical people of God. But look at this. You know, it's very interesting. Two twins are born, none are deserving, one is chosen. 
One is chosen. And it brings us to the question, what made the difference? I've already said it. But what makes the difference? You can see it in the text. Look back in verse 11. One thing made the difference. Look in verse 11. Though they were not yet born. He said this. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Though they had not been born or dead, done nothing good or bad. What's the point? What's the point there? It's not that God had to wait to see what they would do. That God didn't know what they would do. Because we know that's wrong, right? God knows everything. Our deeds before we do them, our words before we speak them, our thoughts before we say them. He's sovereign. He's in control. The point is, God did not base His choice on who they were or what they did. Look at it again. Though they were not yet born or had done nothing either good or bad, in order that purpose statement, God's purpose of election might continue. What is that? His choice is not because of works, but it's Him who calls. And we've already seen calling means calling to salvation as we looked at verses 29 and 30 in that sermon. The difference maker is God, not us. That's the point. The difference maker is God. We all deserve condemnation. Left to ourselves, that's where we would go. And God's not looking down through the tunnel of time to see what we could do, we would do, so that then He would do in line with that. Because we've said this before, if God waited on you to believe, He would be waiting a long time. Because we're dead in sin and trespasses. We won't respond to God. His choice was not based on, oh, I see that Jacob's going to clean up his act. And so I'm going to elevate him. Well, if there is any true cleaning up of an act, it's a work of God's grace in us. It's not something we do. God did not base His choice of Jacob on what Jacob did. Why? He could not. What's the testimony of Scripture? Besides being born again, born, born in sin, not born again. That's testimony too, but later that. That we're born in sin and that Isaiah summarizes our lives outside of Christ as this. All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. All of our attempts outside of Christ, all of our attempts at righteousness are filthy rags because they are all polluted by sin. So God's choice couldn't be based on anything noteworthy in us. It has to be found in His grace. And I get that this is a struggle. But, you know, we taught through, in sun, on Sunday evenings, I taught through the doctrines of grace in a class. And what was my repetitive question in that series? Some of you remember, what does the Bible teach? What does the Word say? Whether or not I get it or it seems right to me, what does the Word say? And those who want to see Romans 9 as just talking about groups or nations are just trying to explain away the obvious. 
that God makes a sovereign choice and that He's free to do so. so, And He owes no one mercy. And He would be just and loving and holy and kind and all that He is and not save a soul. But I want your question to be what my question has been because I didn't start off believing this stuff either. Lord, help me to see what your word teaches and help me to submit to it and believe it. And not just believe it, but rejoice in it and rest in it because that's why it's given. It's given that you might rest in your Savior who will hold you fast. He's been holding you fast since eternity past and he will do so into eternity future because the difference is him. Salvation is a work of his grace. I mean, look what the text says. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election. What does election mean? Choosing. That his purpose might stand. That the difference is not what we do, not because of works, not but because of him who calls. And again, so some try to worm faith in you. Yes, not because of our works, but He foresaw our faith. And my point to you is just read the Scriptures. Read, read the Ephesians 2. And that will do away with that if you'll read it honestly. There wouldn't have been any faith to see if God didn't work it in us by His grace. The difference wasn't in Jacob. It was in God and His purposes. His purpose of election. I mean, you see it in the book of uh, John. John 1, 11 to 13. Good, good com- to lay aside by side by side with this text. He, this is talking about Jesus, the light of the world. He came to His own, the Jewish people, right? Born of a Jew according to the flesh. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. See, that's what Paul's burdened about. But to all who did receive him, what do you mean? Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now it tells us why that happened. Look in verse 13. Who were born, think born again. This is not the fleshly birth. Who were born again, not of blood. It's not physical descent, right? Nor of the will of the flesh. It wasn't because of a decision or of the will of man, but of God. Even John there is saying what made the difference between those that believe and those that didn't was God, not man. Because man would never believe apart from a work of God's grace. Jeff Duncan would have never turned and trusted Christ. No, you didn't know me then, right? But I was on the path, I was singing it, rejoicing in the song and running that way on the highway to hell. Had my own form of a Damascus Road experience where God turned me around. The blessedness of having that happen with my wife and in her soul at the same time is amazing. But it's God that makes the difference. That's what verse 11 is saying about individual sons of Rebekah. That though they weren't born yet, he took nothing into consideration of what they'd done, good or bad. It's his purpose and election that might stand. Not because of their works, but because of his grace. Him who calls. As you're wrestling with these things, 
Just let the Word of God speak. Don't start billy-goating when you're reading it. Just let it speak before you decide whether or not you believe it. I mean, I told you all this last week, but what got me uh, to stop fighting against the doctrines of grace or the doctrine of election was Acts 13.48. At the end of that verse, you know what it says, right? They're preaching the gospel and now turning toward the Gentiles. It says, all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Everyone who had been appointed to eternal life believed. And that's what it says in the original language. It doesn't say all who believed were appointed to eternal life. That would have been my theology at the time. That's what I was looking for in the Word. It says all who were appointed to eternal life believed. And the purpose here is in order that God's purpose and election might continue, not because of works, but because of His grace. God makes the difference. That word purpose denotes a plan. We've seen that in verses in 8.28, that He's working all things together for good for those who are, watch it in 8.28, called according to His purpose. God sovereignly chooses here, see, here's the controversy of Romans 9. I told you all last week, some of you weren't here last week. One, one Sunday, a preacher got up and instead of preaching, he just read Romans 9. And at the end of that, he stopped. And a man stood up in the congregation and said, I don't believe a word of that. Not realizing that all he did was read God's Word. Romans 9 challenges us. It shakes us. That's why I was telling you to buckle up for, before we get here. But it's really, this is good news about a gracious Savior who came to save His enemies and applies that salvation to them. When I was first exposed to this, I used to wonder, why not them and why not them and why not them? Well, I didn't know it wasn't them. But as you mature in it, you start to realize, yeah, why me? Oh, why, why, why me? I shouldn't have been me. And God's always asking us, do you trust me? Will you let me be God? God sovereignly chooses to have mercy on some sinners, as we'll see as we move from 9 through 9 and 11. Jews and Gentiles, a tribe so numerous from every tribe, tongue, and nation that no one could number them. But listen, He doesn't owe anybody mercy. By law, He should have condemned both these guys and all of us. So slow down. Think. Pray. And just tell the Lord, if this is true, I want to believe it. Help me to stop trying to explain away parts of your word and just submit to it. God did not have to save anybody. And He has certainly chosen not to save everybody. Even No matter what your theological bent is, you can look around, you can read history and know that He hasn't saved everybody. And He remains righteous and holy and just and loving. But it is God's grace that makes the difference between the unbeliever and the believer, be they Jew or Gentile. Grace, not race. Not works, not faith, sovereign grace. I mean, go read Ephesians. I'll, I'll quote here verses 3 to 6 in chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with most of the spiritual blessings. 
Every one of them. We're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What's the first one he mentions? Being chosen. First, first spiritual blessing in the heavenlies he mentions is election. Look at it. Even as he chose us in him when he saw that we'd have faith. And that's not what he said. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. With a purpose that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. Look, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. See, we deserve some of the praise if our salvation was our idea primarily. And that's what God based his decision on. But no, it's His grace that makes the difference. That's why verse 6, it is to the praise of His glorious grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now go on and read in chapter 2 of Ephesians about who we were before Christ. And you'll see that we were dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of the world and the course of the flesh and the course of the evil one. It's God who made the difference. Though we were in sin, but God, who is rich in love, He made us alive in Christ. It's His work of grace. Now watch this in 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, so is that faith something I had that God responds to? Right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And I'm not going to go into the language and all of that, but that it right there, what it's representing is that grace through faith salvation. And what that it is telling us is that every element of the grace through faith salvation is the gift of God, including the faith. God grants repentance and faith through the preaching of the gospel to those He is saving. Look at it. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God that settles it. My faith wasn't the initiator. His grace was. Right? Not a result of works. My works. So that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's grace that makes the difference. And now we come to the part of the text that people freak out over. And I hope you see it's really not all that big a deal. But we freak out over the wrong thing. As it is written, Jacob... I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What's the natural man's cry? Not fair. Let me ask you a question. What's not fair? Is it not fair that God hated Esau? Oh, I promise you that's fair. Esau certainly hated God. He's held up as an example in the book of Hebrews of wickedness. He rejected his own birthright. And what he deserves from God is hatred, condemnation, justice, judgment. Nobody will ever get injustice. 
But our cry is, that's not fair. But what we mean by that is if he's going to love Jacob, he can't hate Esau. It's not fair that he makes that distinction. Read ahead in Romans 9, and one of the things Paul's, Paul's going to do, God inspiring the Word is going to tell us, get over yourself. You're not God. You don't have the capacity to figure all this out. You can't see that all of this is just and holy and righteous. My work of salvation. Some of it's going to seem unfair to you or weird to you because you can't, have, you can't figure it all out. But the resurrection proves it all true. But listen to me. Look at me. Grace by its very nature is not fair. Mercy is not fair. Or it wouldn't be mercy. It wouldn't be grace. What you're saying is that's not just. And be careful when you say that about the work of God. Mercy to the undeserving. It's not fair, but it's mercy. Grace to the undeserving. Not fair, but it's grace. God owes mercy and grace to no one. And my point in this text, the awe that strikes me in this text, is that he says he loved Jacob. Because he should have hated, it should say, Jacob I've hated and Esau I've hated. If you want to go justice fair. But remember, God's establishing a covenant people through which will come the Messiah. He's establishing the true Israel that is part of, but not equal with physical Israel. We've already seen that in the text. And so, just as Abraham was undeserving, and Adam and Eve, and Abraham, and follow it on down the line, were undeserving, but chosen by God to produce through them the covenant people who would produce the Messiah who would save the right way of understanding this, the world, Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But grace, get over, grace is not fair. And don't you dare go before God and say, what I want is what is fair. Because you've just said, I don't want mercy. I don't want grace. And I promise you, you don't want that. Sometimes we think our brain's big enough that we can tell God what He ought to do. And those who just use this text to talk about groups of people and try to make Ephesians 1 just talk about groups of people are just trying to avoid what the text clearly teaches. God's grace is radical and it is often misunderstood. Often misunderstood. And just looking on it from the outside, we have to say, because it's true, I wouldn't have done it that way. The anonymous saying, if you give me God's power, you'd see how much I change. But if you gave me His wisdom too, you'd see how I left everything the same. But has God's grace ever confounded you? Listen, I don't know where these men's souls are. But I do know that they made a profession of faith before they died, both of them. Number one, Ted Bundy. You don't know who that is. Serial killer. Smooth talker. Right? Heard him interviewed on, on Focus to the Family one night. And before they told who he was, I thought he was some famous preacher or something, the way he was talking. Turned out James Dobson was in jail interviewing Ted Bundy. 
who had talked about the heinous things he had done, but in the context had made a profession of faith. How about another one? Jeffrey Dahmer. Spoke more than one time about his, how he had come to faith in Jesus and how sorry he was for all of the harm he had done. He was eventually killed in jail by a fellow prisoner. But does that freak you out? You mean a serial killer like that could be saved, but maybe Mother Teresa wasn't? I'm not going to get far into that, but it's possible. How about somebody who lived and took care of their kids and worked and did the right thing, went to church every Sunday, didn't know Jesus? They perished, but Dahmer and Bundy before rejoicing before the throne. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So that's why it reads, Jacob I have loved. See, the real controversy is not that Esau was hated, but that Jacob was loved. We're dealing here with these individuals who, yes, would be the fountainhead of people groups, but you can't sidestep the fact that Paul is speaking of individuals in this text. If you do, you're not letting the text speak. Because let me tell you, let me ask you, what group of people does Rebecca represent? That's Rebecca. And Sarah. I'm fighting for you today. I'm fighting for the peace of your soul until you rest yourself in God's sovereignty. You will not have the peace that He's purchased for you. And some of that's going to be me, just like it was for me. I had to get over myself. Acts 13, 48, and the book Knowing God did that for me. To the point where I would just look at God's Word and say, yep, that's what it says. I don't understand it all. But that's what it says. Blessed is, Psalmist even said, Blessed is the one whom you choose and cause to dwell in your tents forever. Cause to approach you. And like a, a brother in the church the other, the other evening was telling us about struggling with the doctrine of election. And he, said, he said, but when you finally get it, you see it everywhere in the Bible. He's right. You know why? It's everywhere in the Bible. When you don't try to explain it away. Paul's purpose here is to explain why all the Jews, Jews don't believe and why the Word of God hasn't failed. The Old Testament shows individuals chosen. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down the line, right? And individuals rejected. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Should have hated them both. Paul's showing that God is bringing into being a covenant people in the same way he did in the Old Testament. By choosing some and not choosing others. Some get mercy, some get justice. Nobody gets injustice. Everybody's treated Justly. And listen, the best proof that what I'm telling you is right is that Paul anticipates the very reaction that that we said we would have to the text. That's not fair. If we're talking about individuals, we would say that's not fair. That's unjust. Look at verse 14. We'll talk more about this later. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He wouldn't anticipate that objection if he was just talking about nations. 
And besides, that don't fix anything. It just moves the problem. If God can't be particularly gracious to an individual, he can't be particularly gracious to a nation above all the others. Paul anticipates the very objection that most people have to the doctrine of election. But God's word has not failed. God's choice of Jacob, like the rest, is evidence of the thesis that his word hasn't failed. He sovereignly chooses who will be saved and had done so from before the foundation of the world. And his, listen, this is important to understand. His choice is not based on us or what we do or what we believe because no good thing would come from us if it wasn't his work in us. His choice is not based on our will our works, or our faith any more than it was Jacob's. Augustine put it this way. Y'all know when I quote people, I'm just justifying the quote, not everything they believe. Okay? Some people struggle when you quote people. God does not choose us because we believe, but that we may believe. Chosen before the foundation of the world, given to the Son, the Son agrees to be the mediator to come and accomplish the redemption of His people and the Spirit to apply that redemption. So we have all of the foreshadowing of Christ coming in the Old Testament. The Lamb of God who would pay the penalty for the sins of His people. That spotless Lamb would come until that day. Then Jesus is is born. God-man in the flesh lives under His own law, fulfilling all righteousness for His people. He has a righteousness to give, therefore. And then dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And the Spirit takes that message and works in the hearts of those He's saving so that they grieve over their sin and turn from it and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And salvation is a free good gift to us if we will have it. And if we will be saved, we must trust in Christ. But the Spirit, through the preaching of that Gospel, will work faith and repentance in those He's saving. And stop worrying about who God's going to save. Stop trying to tell Him what He needs to do. And rejoice that He has saved you. What did Jesus tell the disciples? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, this doctrine is revealed to us because it's truth. But the purpose of it is to just give us that peace and security to know that it wasn't my idea. He will hold me fast because it was his idea to save me. I don't get it. Don't need to. He has worked faith in me. So why don't all the Jews believe? Well, one, because they have obstinately chosen not to do so. Rebellion. Sin, bondage of the will. But number two, because of verse, chapter 11, verse 5 is true. Because there is a remnant chosen by grace. Christ said, Christ said that he would lose none of those who were given to him. Christ said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Christ said, I lay my down, my life down for the sheep. God is saving a people of whom Jacob was one of true Israel. That remnant which Paul is illustrating the purpose of God and the reason why things are still here. That he's working out the redemption of his people through the sacrifice of His Son. 
and the Spirit applying that message, that good news to us, so that we turn and trust in Jesus. Are you, for whatever else I've said this morning, look at me, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation this morning? Have you placed your hope, not in yourself or in your own understanding, but ha- and have you, have you had that time when you began to be convicted of your sin and turned and you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving Him as your Savior? Now, kids, if that happened to you at an early age because you were raised in a Christian home, you may not remember that. But if you're trusting Christ today, that happened at some point. Right? But adults, too. Are you trusting Christ? Are you resting in Christ? Have you received the free gift? If you have, rejoice in that. That you have a full and free Savior. And rejoice in your salvation because your God intentionally gave that to you. And He will finish His good work. A couple of quick points of application. I know I'm running long, but this is an important section. Every single person ever born, I'm just trying to hammer this. Every single person ever born deserves just condemnation. A just, a justice that results in condemnation. None deserve mercy. None deserve grace. And no one would believe without grace. Look at what Jesus said right quick. Truly, truly, he's talking to Nicodemus, but he says, unless one is born again, born of the Spirit, born anew, we're born again and then we believe, okay? He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We cannot even recognize our need for salvation and that Christ is that King and Savior who has brought salvation unless we've been born again and have the Spirit. We have the new heart that will recognize these things. The the sinner of his own will will never come to Jesus. There are many verses for that, but this is one that reason I say that. Just believe Jesus when he says this. 3.19 to 20 in John. This is the judgment. The light, he's, that's him. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Now watch this. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. No sinner of his own accord is going to turn to the light because he loves his sin and is doesn't want his deeds exposed as evil. I remember that. I was converted as an adult, so I remember that mindset. But look what Jesus said. Nobody on their own is going to turn and trust in me. It has to be a work of God's grace. So every single person ever born deserved just condemnation and would never turn to Christ on their own. And number two, God is just and righteous in his choice of his elect. His hatred and rejection of Esau was just and righteous. His love and choice of Jacob was just and merciful. Just because Christ satisfied justice for all of his people in paying the penalty for our sins. Therefore, he can extend mercy and grace, even retroactively back into the old covenant to those like Jacob. Neither, but here's the point. Neither of those two boys received injustice. One received what he deserved and the other received what Christ deserved because of God's justice. But neither received injustice. Grace, not race. 
makes the difference. And Paul's point is that Israel, listen to me, Israel's future, the true Israel, Israel's future is secure because it's based on the sovereign faithfulness of the electing grace of God. That is Paul's point. That's why the Word of God has not failed. So look, just like Paul, sinner, Saul of Tarsus, sinner, deserved condemnation, yet was chosen and converted by God. Just like Paul was a chosen instrument of Jesus's, so too are you if you are in Christ Jesus. Give all, listen, Ephesians 1, give all the glory and praise to God for your salvation. Know that 100% of it is a work of His grace. And if He has begun it in you, He will finish it in the day of Christ Jesus. And if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, God's command comes out from Acts 17, 30 and 31, that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be converted. None who believe in Him will be turned away. All will be received. There's no fight between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Turn and trust in Christ. And if you do, rest all your praise in God because it was His work of grace to begin with. To live is Christ. Let's pray. We thank You for Your grace, Your kindness, Your goodness, Your justice, that we enjoy a just and a righteous salvation because Christ has lived for us, fulfilling all righteousness. Christ has died for us, paying the penalty for our sin. The Spirit has birthed us again through that gospel so that we have turned and trusted and rested in Christ. Our sin imputed to Christ, His righteousness imputed to us, just Righteous children of God, all because of your grace. Lord, help us to submit to the truth of your word, that the doctrine of election is pure, because it comes from the word, it is true, it is everywhere taught. If we are resisting it, Lord, help us to just ask those simple questions. What does the word of God teach? And help us to stop pitting one verse against another and things like that. But those of us who do believe in it, help it. Lord, don't let it make us proud. Don't let us start beating other people over the head with the doctrine of election. That's not why you reveal these things to us. But let us do what it says in Ephesians. To give all the praise to your glorious grace. To rest in that grace. And to know that, 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 that my faith and my repentance is just life signs that I've been born again because of your sovereign electing grace and work in my life. None of us deserve good from you. And we all have far more blessings than we deserve. The richest of those blessings being Christ, our King and our Savior. So, Lord, just take this message which comes from your word and convert and sanctify your people. We give you all the praise.